tastes like shitty dumplings. All right, let's do it. Why? <laughs> Why so I was you... having shitty dumplings earlier. <laughs> and you just, you got dumpling water in your water? Yeah, I guess so. Anyway, we're on the five minute mark. Perfect. Three, two, one, go. Hello and welcome to the 250, the podcast where we are stubborn, but we have no pride. I'm Jonathan and with me as always is my co-host, Douglas. How are you, Douglas? I'm doing very well this afternoon. Evening, Jonathan. How are you? It's not evening. Well, I guess it is evening for you. It's, yeah. Uh, what's, what's, what's the delineator for evening, Douglas? If this is your first time I- tuning into the 250, we have taken a snapshot of IMDb's top 250 movies of all time as of January 2020. And we've begun watching them from number 250 through to number one. In this podcast, we discuss our opinions, our thoughts, and our reactions to the movies within. Today's movie, number 166, is The Bridge on the River Kwai. I'm looking at... I just, did a, I just did a quick little search on what people, what hours are considered, like, evening. Most people consider the evening to start at 5 o'clock. That, no. Like after Surely, work. like, 6, 6.30. Like after, like, after work, I guess. Anyway. Yeah. This is not good. I want to do this whole... Can we do this whole shit. fucking intro over? No, we can't. Trapped in a prisoner of war camp, a battalion of World War II British soldiers work under the Japanese military to build a rail bridge over the River Kwai, Jonathan. The battalion's commander, Colonel Nicholson, must choose between slowing their captor's efforts and keeping his men from suffering. That's a summary of the movie, Jonathan. Uh, bridge on the River Kwai was directed... Directed by David Lean of Lawrence of Arabia, Dr. Zhivago, and Brief Encounter fame. It was written by Michael Wilson, who also worked on Lawrence of Arabia, and Carl Foreman, who worked on The Guns of Navarone. And it was based on an original novel by Pierre Boulle, who also wrote Planet of the Apes. Which was also adapted into a very successful film franchise as opposed to <laughs> there's not really much you can do with bridge on the river Kwai after bridge after on the, the river Kwai the too. <laughs> they tried to build it they build, again they build another bridge but better uh neither jonathan nor i have seen this film before hmm i was worried so because what was the other film we had with wasn't um what's the russian roulette film again what was that oh uh deer hunter wasn't that river Kwai? uh Oh that yeah, no, they, but that they wasn't were in they were held on the river Kwai. That was in Thailand, like, wasn't? No, no, that was yeah, that was Vietnam, right? Yeah. All right, Douglas. Yeah. Wait a minute, I'm gonna check that the river Kwai doesn't run through both. Just yeah, just just a minute. We're the testing our geography skills river. here, ladies and gentlemen. Something that has um, classically gone extremely classically, poor for us. Yeah. All right, hit me with the River Kwai Thai and Burmese restaurant. That's in uh, Victoria. <laughs> Not quite what I was looking at. <laughs> Not quite. Okay, Thailand and Vietnam are quite close to each They're other. Relatively. But they do have Laos and Cambodia in between each other. No, Douglas, guess what? What? You remember, you remember in that episode, you remember back in the, the Deer Hunter episode? We yeah. had a whole big fucking back and forth about the pronunciation the river kwai yeah river kwai is not in f- fucking vietnam where is it to begin with it's it's looks like it's only in cambodia <laughs> oh it i oh, know cambodia sorry thailand it might oh i think it also passes through burma it, wait, wait 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 
I think this film's set in Burma. I don't think it's set in Thailand. I feel like it's in Burma. Uh, yes, it's, but it uses the historical setting of the construction of the Burma Railway. Right. Well, the location it's definitely not in is Vietnam. I was going to open this with... Which is Thailand, yeah. I was, I was ready to open this before watching the film, ready to open this like, we're back in Vietnam, baby. We haven't talked about Vietnam in about three episodes and it's Vietnam and it's not it's, Vietnam. It's, it's, it's not the 250 without Vietnam, but hey, 250 has actually thrown us for a bit of a loop here and it's tossed us back into bloody Thailand. It's tossed us into cool. Burma. <laughs> yeah. Which yeah. is... Uh, which is a new one. Interesting. Nice language. It is. Burmese. Yeah. I assume it's called Burmese. It's nice looking, nice looking characters. It's a cool, cool little language. Mm. Anyway, not, maybe it's why, maybe that's why I enjoy, enjoyed it. Because it's the like, third or fourth film in this general location in the world. But it's the first one that's not in Vietnam. Which is cool. Yeah. Mm. And also a war film that doesn't, isn't purely centric around like the Vietnam War and stuff. I think is also... A touch refreshing. Well, it's 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 World it's War Two as well. Yeah, it's yeah. World War Two, well, which is is it post war or is it no? It's during the war. Sorry, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Because mm. they supply the whole point of the railway was to supply troops and weapons during World War Two, right? World War Two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, shit must have been really fucked up in World War Two. Yeah. Damn, I never really thought about it that much. Hmm. Anyway, getting lost in the fucking weeds here, as usual. Yeah. It wouldn't be the first 10 minutes of a 250 episode. Of the 250 without us going... <laughs> um, it, was, it, was, it was fun. It was a, it was a fun movie. And um, I, I mean, I have complaints about it. But of all the kind of war, classic war films we've had so far, this was a lot more enjoyable than some of the other ones. Just building a bridge with the boys, John. Just building a bridge with the boys. Just the boys, <laughs> the boys going for a dip, building a bridge. Boys having a swim building an old bridge um yeah in in terms of like the the war films we've had for the 250 this is definitely probably one of the more palatable ones though i still struggle on the runtime i mean i oh, get yeah, the yeah, pacing yeah. and things like that like it's uh, i think david lean loves himself a very uh slow paced burner mm. If uh, Lawrence of Arabia's fucking 3 hour and 48 minute runtime is anything to be referenced or uh, based off of um yes he does love a bit of a a slow burn mm. so but yeah again like it's we talk about it a lot here on the 250 like is it is it worthy of the slow burn and i mm, i go back and forth nah nah <laughs> just a straight nah for the, the only like i get this feeling i've because i've gotten my feelings have gone even stronger about this i get the feeling we're gonna watch 2049 and i'm going to be critical about the run length on that as well i literally i'm i'm leaving that one that one 2049's in limbo until i watch it because mm -hmm. i'm going to watch it pretty soon pretty soon yeah besides that of all the other like let's say two hours and 20 minutes is our threshold even that's too much two hours and 15 minutes i think that's a nice you know two hours and 15 minutes is like within reason you know to 210 whatever yeah. anything past yeah. that there hasn't been one so far where I've been like, that made sense for that, that to be that long. It. Yeah. Everything mm -hmm. I'm like, you could have trimmed that down a little bit. And this was like, there's a lot of fuck asking around that goes on in this film. And mm. a lot of that sort of makes sense. There is some long scenes that make sense to take a long time, which I'm not going to yeah. spoil. But yep. there's also just a lot of fart asking around that, yeah, could have been trimmed, could have been. Is there something like this? Where it's like a sequence of events 
in one location across like a project you know it's like depicting a project you can you can shuffle that you can trim things down you can make that work it didn't it didn't i didn't feel like i really was getting heaps out of it being that long yeah I don't yeah know. yeah that's valid anyway we'll, we'll get into that a bit more later yeah, we'll, i guess we'll spoiler zone when we, uh, but yeah it, it was it was long it was long i don't think it had to be that long you know it it was fine it's fine whatever it was all right um lengthwise you know uh, besides that yeah. i still found it very very enjoyable i just found it yeah kind of wore a bit i mean any film that i don't have to i don't like look at my watch part way through is kind of a winner and this is one of those like a film where i like it's lost me at a point it doesn't necessarily mean it's bad as well because i mean some films just kind of have a lag in them and that's okay but just didn't be this long the long movie douglas yes it's a lot going yeah. on yeah uh, well like it's when you're doing it based off of real life circumstances i guess there's a lot that you kind of need to cover but allegedly there's a bit of historical inaccuracy in the way that david lean and perhaps also uh pierre bull uh both portrayed the story so mm. go go into that a little bit later as well but just the film on itself as a product i think is yeah uh, i really enjoyed the first act i think the first act is quite more like gripping than the second and yeah. the third. i think it, it kind of when you're really trying to figure out what's going on who are your characters where are the relationships and the way that lean and wilson and foreman handle those characters in the initial first act and the the confrontation that happens is very engaging to watch and i feel i was fucking wee bit worried for a little bit there about how well they were uh, able to portray both sides of the argument as war is there are two sides to 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 a war and i feel like they did a relatively reasonable job on portraying both like the the allied forces being you know the brits and aussies and all that and then the uh japanese um mm. i feel like it was relatively tasteful i don't know you got any hot takes on that john yeah it's kind of an interesting one because i think from a bit of an objective perspective like japan's culture is just very honor-based and very pride-based absolutely and that yeah sort of has led them to being very very brutal from and I, I, yes yeah like i don't think there's heaps of like need for nuance on that like we know yeah. mm. we know that japan's whole deal was sort of victory at any cost which even they i think sort of have kind of pushed away from these these days you know mm. So, so there's some degree, I think the complete facelessness, because I think the other comparison we can make with like German Axis powers was, what's the name of the film? What's the name of the other film, Douglas, that we hated? Hacksaw Ridge? They were complete, what? Sorry, sorry, my face just lit up because I just, I uh, only found out the other day um, that I have a friend who is a dancer, Daryl, and he was an extra in Hacksaw Ridge. Hey, Dazza. Good on you, Daryl. That makes uh, sense because there was all those Australians in it. Yep, exactly. I was like, where was it filmed? And he was like, it was filmed in New South Wales. And I was like, oh my fucking God. Fucking anyway. Gibson brought it over and he recorded it there. And that's why there are all the Aussies there. And it all makes sense. And I was like, wow. Ah, we, we had this big yeah. complaint with 
Hacksaw Ridge, where the the depiction of the Japanese military was as like they were like monsters, right? Whereas this, I think the I think that the guy is brutal, but you have this conversation with him, and he's like, "If this doesn't happen, my honor means I'll have to kill myself." So it's yeah. so it's not necessarily like I think you can kind of get the appropriate level of like. I guess disdain for the way that that was handled, but not it's, not um, sorry that that like the mil- the way the military worked, the Japanese military worked in yeah. World War Two. But they don't. He talks about it, doesn't he? he talks about um, what is it? Bushido is the. It's like the 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 moral code for I Japanese be- I believe it's military. Bushido. Yeah, yeah. So you know that's that's kind of it is what it is like. I think compared to our modern standards for human life and stuff, it doesn't, the way that they, the Japanese military acted in World War II was not cool. I don't think there's any bones about that because mm. they were doing pretty nasty shit. But yeah. they're treated as, still treated as people in this. As human, yeah. Whereas yeah. whereas you, they don't they don't say shit in Hacksaw Ridge. They are just like faceless they're basically a bunch of people who are going to get shot in the head and their heads are going to snap backwards shot. over and over yeah. again. Yeah. So, yeah. I, 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 you know, I, I don't want to dip too hard into that because I might sort of be... I might have... It is a contentious of, topic. Yeah, I might have read that wrong, you know? Yeah, no, 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 no. But they do I, give I them some depth. There's, yeah, I think that there's enough where you can understand where our our lead, who we do get to spend a fair bit of majority of the time in terms of the Japanese side of the argument, uh, Colonel Saito, who is played by uh, Sesue Hayakawa, um, and he has appeared in numerous other films hmm. uh, throughout the uh, the 60s and the 50s. Yeah. Um, Lovely little career for himself. It's got to be so wild. It's stuff like that, you see that all the time where it's like, what's it like to be... He that's He's a Japanese actor, isn't he? Like, he's... He's an actual uh, Japanese, Japanese and American. Uh, yeah, he was a Japanese immigrant, um, and he was one of the first and one of the few Asian actors to find stardom in the United States as well as Europe. Like how how rough does that have to be to depict that? Like it's definitely not something you're going to have like heaps of pride over the that kind of behavior. It's got to just yeah. got to be it's going to be rough, man. It's got to be hard. Mm. So. Anyway, yeah, so we've we've just really jumped in the deep end with the political stuff. I feel like we always fucking do this. It's like just go like We talk ourselves in circles. We know we know that something like this is gonna be contentious and we just open with it and just go like, oh let's just go, yeah. Let's just go in circles for ten minutes and then just like mildly They're depi- anyway. They're depicted better than Hacksaw Ridge. Yes. You know. That's the bottom line. It's and and the morality of the Japanese military in World War Two it's a different story. I don't think it's great, but it's a different story. So what do you think of the cinematography, Jonathan? It's interesting, Douglas. Interesting cinematography, Douglas. I was sitting there. The the real cinematography moment that stuck in my head was the... There's a meeting between two characters. Kind of like a shot counter shot, which there actually aren't that many of, I don't think, in the film. Mm. Between, um, between Saito and Colonel Nicholson. Um, and, and I was like, these are kind of like, the word in my head was like descriptive, you know, they're very, very clear, 
not super creative shots. Um, mm. And then they... But they sort of do spice it up a little bit. They have then some walking shots through there that are kind of nice and smooth and, you know, pan nicely to, to show stuff. So... Couple of nice dollies. Yeah, yeah. It, it was an interesting one. I, you've got a lot to work with with that huge bridge. That is like a huge like centerpiece yeah. item for great set grounding piece. everything. You can you get this wonderful sense of scale with that. But I actually, yeah, I sort of don't remember thinking about cinematography that much. Besides mm. that, I guess it's coloured like so many films of the era. A bit flat, um, which is fine. Yeah, I love. I love how fifties uh, movies do nighttime. Yeah. Oh how, my like, god. Oh yeah, I had to know about that too. <laughs> it looks how it's kind of like they've just like dimmed everything a little bit, like tapped the brightness out of it, and they're like, "Oh, it's nighttime." <laughs> I had a note where I was like, "Is this supposed to be nighttime or just dusk?" Um, <laughs> so I'm glad it wasn't just me. Uh, yeah. No. Um, it's, uh, it's a touch interesting. Um, it's great to see Sir Alec Guinness. Mm, the seeing a bit more of him. Obi Wan shaped elephant in the room, Douglas. Absolutely, um, and not the only elephant in the room in terms of uh, gentlemen that we will be seeing once again in the two five zero. And that's uh, all we have seen, I mm. should say. Mm. That's William Holden, oh. who played. Uh, the Lee, one of the characters in uh, Bridge on the River Kwai, uh, Shears. He kind of, he's not a lead really, but he kind of, the, the story kind of taps into him sometimes, which mm. I like how the screenplay kind of worked his character um, without obviously going in uh, too in depth. But he played uh, Max Schumacher in Network. Oh. Which is uh, one of the. Uh, yeah, he's a part of like the leading cast yeah. of Network. Yeah. So I love Network, man. Network, Network I, was I really fun. I still think about that movie. That's a Fuck me. very, very interesting piece. Yeah. Rip snorting time. Um, go check out Network if you haven't. And then go listen to the episode that we did on it. Because it's, yeah, that's a really good movie. After um, that, was it? Hold up. It was 76. And this is 76. Yeah, this was 57. Okay. Yeah, you can sort of see that 20 years on. William Holden, unfortunately. Oh, yes. Yeah, Poor guy. William Holden. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think my favorite bit of cinematography was uh I think it's the doctor. He's talking about like uh how both Saito and uh the Colonel are both mad mm. and he's like, Are they both mad or am I mad? Or maybe it's the sun and the camera like pans up to the sun <laughs> and it does this really neat transition in that moment where, mm. like, they use the sun to transition from one moment to the next. And I was just like, wow, like, that's super fucking clever. I would say more of that because I do remember early in there was lots of fade transitions and they always mm. looked really tacky to me. Mm. I, I mean... Just a crossfade, yeah. No, no, yeah, yeah, just a crossfade. Just, mm. But then, like... I'm just trying to recall how, like, modern movies do that. I feel like there's just lots of... Lots of pretty hard cuts. Just hard cuts, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Maybe maybe we're just more used to them these days. Maybe that's sort of just, like, ingrained in our heads the the way that it's done. I mean, the king of transitions is your Star Wars's of the the cinema world. Oh, I mean, I guess so. The The, screen wipe. The wipes Um, That shit's iconic. The wipes are iconic and, like, very, very Star Wars, but they also don't really hold up. 
I, I would say they don't work in any other situation. No, except sorry, not for not Wars. hold up. Yes, they they they've become something very iconic to Star Wars. Yeah. So the new yeah. Star Wars films can use wipes all they like, and you're just like, oh, all they like because they've been reinforced by. It yeah. brings you into that energy that wipe, and I think yeah. even stuff like the yeah. video games use screen wipes and shit. You know? Yeah, they do. The Lego Star Wars games, yeah, they <laughs> use screen wipes between stuff. Do you know they're making their they're assembling all of the Star Warses, like the Lego Star Warses, mm. into one fucking package. All of them. That, that is... That's a, that's a huge deal, if you ask me. Because those games are fucking classic. Yeah, they kick ass. All right, you want to play those yeah. later? We need, we need to knock yeah, absolutely. Um, the Speaking of uh, Obi-Wan, uh, the one of my favorite lines from him is, I think it's where Saito is trying to ask what... Oh, yeah the colonel would do in yeah. his position. Um, and he he presents, he's like, either I do something or I kill myself. What mm. would you do? And then he goes, I'd kill myself. And then he grabs a drink. He's like, cheers. cheers. <laughs> <laughs> ah, what iconic. a line. What a line. Well, Sir, Alec, Sir Alec Guinness, he's, he's superb in this. Like he, he really did. I haven't seen anything other than Obi-Wan mm. on Sir Alec yeah. Guinness. So I think seeing him in this kind of a role was really, really strong and really fitting for him he really he's got the look of it he portrayed a lot of really interesting subtext and stuff throughout his character uh the the arc of his character Mm. and in terms of how other characters engage with him and stuff and how sometimes they bring confrontation to him even within the allied forces and the the prisoners of war they're like hey fucking like have you thought about this and he you know very english uh uh, true to English heritage, is completely stubborn and you know sticks stands his ground and everything. Like it's, he's just a really interesting English character to watch. Mm. And yeah, I want to talk about let's talk about him in the spoilers, Doug. I got there's, there's yeah. spoilers, there's spoiler worthy stuff to talk about with within there with yes. Colonel Nicholson. So Douglas, yeah, would you recommend this movie to people? Yeah, yeah, I think I would. I wouldn't say that it's one of the most powerful 50s movies that we've ever had. I mm. think it, uh, I get its place in uh, the overall scheme of cinema and in, I'm sure it's on a lot of people's like, you know, 100 films you must watch before you die kind of lists because it does have quite a strong presence in terms of like a historical factor and then a cinema factor as well in terms of building the, the 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 scale of the film itself is quite um miraculous to think about mm. so i understand that but i don't know there are other 50s movies that do it a little bit better for me so i would tentatively recommend bridge on the river choir i would say if uh the runtime is kind of turning you off a little bit and you're not all that interested in the subject matter, <clears throat> then yeah, I'd, I'd give Bridge on the River Choir a miss. But if you're intrigued, by all means. Yeah, it is It is a long one. And I think that is going to be a, maybe a killer for some people, especially because it feels like it does lag in some, some spots. But mm. uh, we haven't, we, we, uh, we've talked this long. We haven't brought up The Great Escape. If you like The Great Escape, you'll enjoy this. Oh, yeah. Very similar energy. Um, and and so much of the film is sort of just based around this kind of camaraderie of this group, which is kind of just fun to watch. Yeah. So so there is that. It's it's. I didn't expect to enjoy it anywhere near as much as I did. So I guess on that level, 
take that as you will, whether or mm. not that's a recommend. That's a recommendation. Is it a recommendation enough for you? Uh, you decide. I think Douglas. I reckon this is a this is a one Michelin star or a two Michelin star film, Douglas. Maybe, yeah, two. I'd lean towards a two. Mm. Mm. Five. The whole point of the Michelin star system was that was that you don't do halves. I don't do halves, and and yeah. yet here you are. <laughs> I think it's maybe a one. I think it's maybe a one. My my rule with that is no Michelin stars is bad. One Michelin star yes. is good but not great. Two Michelin stars is like yeah. really good, and three is like perfect, right? Is yeah masterpiece. So yeah. maybe it's a two. Maybe it's a two because I because I enjoyed it and yeah. Yeah. Sure. Fuck it. Two Michelin stars. Mamma oh. mia. Mum Peter Pia. Alright. What are we what are we what are we hitting for the for the spoiler zone audio sting, Douglas? Let's get that uh bridge breaking sound effect of like some explosions and people falling and like screaming. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Just general chaos. And then right at the end, Colonel Nicholson saying, What, what have, have I, I done? done? <laughs> Perfect. Um, yeah, interesting character, and I think you, you you don't really pick that he's kind of it's like Stockholm syndrome. It's like it's like a yeah, very interesting yeah. Stockholm syndrome like film, and you don't really realize that until the end. You sort well, because of because I, I get where he's coming from. You know, mm. like he he talks about it with the doctor, and he's like the the doctor's like, dude, like we're helping the enemy right now. Like, mm. In all technicality, we are helping the enemy. And in turn are probably uh, helping debilitate uh, our, you know, us yeah. as like a collective. And then Nicholson turning around and going like, but no, like where we are proving to them that we are strong, uh, even when we are prisoners of war, we are still strong. And we're also keeping our hands busy where, you know, idle hands are the devil's work. It's... Uh, the men are happy. They're motivated. It's yeah, I get where he's coming from. Like it's a really interesting kind of inner conflict, mm. I suppose. Mm. It's it, it's very weird, and it's almost like I feel like I just I feel like the set, like the B team, distracts so much from what I think is the more interesting part of the film, which is. Colonel Nicholson's whole deal and I think you need the B team going like we're gonna blow the bridge up to to mm. be like an appropriate level of conflict that kind of brings his character to a crescendo I guess but comparatively I didn't find them very interesting whereas Colonel Nicholson's kind of headspace with his like absolute extreme stubbornness and then sort of sort of slowly twisting to to kind of convincing himself that it's the right thing to do to to build this railway bridge um, mm. is quite interesting to watch. So it, 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 it's weird and it's not one where, not not that it helps for me to be the fucking armchair director and be like, you should have done it this way. But, <laughs> but it also feels bad to be like, I don't think that was necessary, but I don't have a solution to fix the holes that removing that would create. Yeah, you know? yeah, yep. But yeah, I I I get. I didn't hate the beast, the B team, as much as I thought I would by the end of the film, and I think this situation was sort of fun. Mm. 
but it's it's also not really there's not like heaps of character growth there i guess there's that's also trying to say something with the leader of the b team whose character i have whose name i have forgotten and the imdb page is been shifted not to another time here we go um major warden jack hawkins mm. you know who jack, jack hawkins, hawkins you know who jack hawkins looks like douglas Jack it looks like one, it looks like one of your relatives whose name I'm not going to mention on one of your close relatives. Oh, yeah, it does too. <laughs> That's actually, really yeah. freaky. I'm going to send that to him. Yeah. Um, wow. Uh, anyway, Is it Ben Hur. Ah, th- they sort of also play on that like stubbornness thing with him in a bit more of a explicit way. Yes, but not in a way that it feels like the film would suffer if you removed it. You know. Mm. Like, mm. like maybe the B team is something they cut to, and maybe it's maybe there's not any character really there. You you maybe have a cutaway, an appropriate cutaway to like, here's these guys. They meet up with a guy who was there. They're gonna start building this bomb, and they and they every now and then they cut back to it, and they're sort of, you know, cutting through the woods and sort of making their way there. And then you keep that. I did. I did admire the like the James Bondiness to it of mm. of Shears though, like how the rest of the boys are all in the shit, and she is like it, when things are progressively getting worse and worse with the prisoners of war, it cuts back to Shears, and you know he's waving to all the people that he met in the village as he sails away, and then the dickhead drinks from the river and fucking gets himself sick, but then gets picked up by a fucking Was that by sh- a plane. Oh no, Shears, Shears. Sorry, I went mixed up with Major yeah. Warden. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, that, oh, that 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 shot of him drinking the water and then smash cut, smash cut, smash cut. Immediately, yeah. Tim being like, "Oh, I'm so sick," uh, is like rolling around the on the boat. Funniest fucking thing in the world. So good, so so good. Oh, that's just that's that was that was a bizarre choice. Um, but you know, I thought that was fine. I think you you get she is there. You maybe drive that specifically from Shea's perspective, and you maybe don't add too much character to the rest of them. Um, and then you just use that as kind of a catalyst for pushing Nicholson over the edge. I think. I, yeah. And and yeah. and the other trick is if you did that, because she has got this whole thing where it's like, oh, it was made to be a civilian. I've got this hot lady that I want to go back to. Blah 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 blah. Like it doesn't really add anything. I, I, yeah. I didn't because, feel. And like it's also from what I perceive of Nicholson's character is that he's quite comfortable in a position of power within the military mm. i think he he really thrives in that position of command so mm. it was weird and i th- i just feel i just feel like that bit didn't quite seem like it was entirely necessary and then you put that side by side with the fact that we're both like it feels like it was a bit too long is like clearly there's stuff in there that could have been trimmed that could have been cleaned up simplify that side plot Use it, use it as the catalyst it was supposed to be that it ultimately is for, and because you know they've sort of trying to make a point out of Major Warden's hubris, but that never ends up being. That's not what gets his group of dudes killed. It's it's Colonel Nicholson that does. So his character doesn't really go anywhere. He's just there. He's just like let me die boys and they're like we're not gonna let you die and he's like all right <laughs> yeah <laughs> and that's his story that's his character and that's it that's yeah, the only yeah, important true. character bits to him so mm. I, 
I, I feel like I wanted more. And I mean, it's Alan Come on Guinness. without me, boys. I wanted... We're not going to go on without you. Well, okay, then. <laughs> that guy was a tough bargain. <laughs> yeah. I just wanted more Alan Guinness. I don't know. Um, yeah, he, he is unquestionably the highlight. And I think, the, the, I think the stuff happening with the all the interactions with the people in the prisoner war camp has so much more punch overall, just character-wise, than that second team does. Just use the team. Second team is a catalyst. Keep it minimal. Keep it slim. Trim 40 minutes off the runtime. Everybody's happy. I'm happy. Douglas is yep. happy. Everybody's happy. Yeah. And that will give us Please more... punch. Give us more Gallic Guinness time. I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. Um, uh, music. Weird yeah. film for music, Douglas. Uh, yeah, very um, uh, very jarring I, composition. Yeah, very. I didn't like it, Douglas. Yeah. Oh, you know like what? The, the... He gets out of the cage and the fucking fanfare with the yeah, it's just and so like much. everyone's waving the hats and everything. Like it's yeah, it's a lot. Like I can get it has its place in history. You know, like that's what fifties audiences probably would have enjoyed, but doesn't quite tickle my pickle. It's potentially enough to knock it down to a one Michelin star, Douglas, actually, because it was it was horrendous every time there was music, except the only one I could think of is the the really big triumphant ending music. I thought that was like an excellent contrast for the ending. I thought that was great. Mm. But every other time yeah. there's music, it's just like triumphant moment. And if you're not feeling triumphant enough, here is a fucking marching tune. <laughs> it's... Uh manipulative use of of score to make the audience uh, feel. Yeah, it's ham-fisted, I guess. Which is... Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's so much stuff in there that the film does f- absolutely fine with... No score. No score at all. And you can just put, yeah. in, put in some fresh little warm little ambient tracks for them going through the forest to kind of... Yeah. To kind of bring in a little bit of tension. Tension... The scene with them laying the bombs, I actually really loved that. And I think that was yeah. entirely appropriate. That was the, the two scenes that I think that were, they were long scenes and they were absolutely fucking fine being long scenes was that. And, and it just chills out and the guys are kind of like, it really kind of amps you up fairly well. Um, and the other one... Sets you up for the third act mm. pretty neatly. Although that, yeah. that being said, they, they do, they are like... Every time they look up and they're like, are the guards still there? And it's like, you are completely under the bridge. How are they going to see you? How are they? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, and the other was... The other is this, yeah, this this meeting between Colonel Nicholson and Saito that we mentioned before, which was, you know, fairly slow and like a good conversation that I think kind of builds the characters a bit, gets you in some of the people's head spaces a bit. And it's like also like a fun little uh, battle of words, you know? Mm. It's cool. It was cool. And then, and then you know, yeah, trim the B team. Keep those good bits. Keep the good bits that I Keep really the, liked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, I don't really have too much more to say about Bridge on the River Quiet. It's just, yeah, I don't know. I think... um uh, might be a good time to segue into. I've I've done a little bit of looking at the. There's been some debate around the historical accuracy of the film. Welcome to how, the historical accuracy corner. The the ten minutes of every episode where we talk about the historical accuracy of ooh. of the events within Douglas. Can we get the historical accuracy what? theme, please? Hello and welcome to the historical accuracy corner. 
Thank you. Thank you. Douglas, put, put something in there. <laughs> I'll do a little singing bit for you if you like. Can you put a little, little fucking garage band the goddamn intro. What do you want That was two years ago, Douglas. That's all you've done since then. You've done the trivia, you've done the trivia corner theme. I did the conclusion zone as well. The conclusion zone. And now we need the historical... Okay, this bit sucks. Tell us about this. <laughs> Tell us about this stock accuracy. So, uh, the conditions to which uh, POW prisoners of war and civilian labourers were subjected were far worse than the film depicted, allegedly. Um, according to the Commonwealth War Graves Commission, quote, the notorious Burma CM uh, Railway built by Commonwealth, Dutch and American prisoners of war, was a Japanese project driven by the need for improved communications to support the large Japanese army in Burma. During its construction, approximately 13,000 prisoners of war died and were buried along the railway. An estimated 80,000 to 100,000 civilians also died in the course of the project, chiefly forced labour brought from Malaya and the Dutch East Indies, or constructed in Siam, Thailand and Burma. Two labour forces, one based in Siam and the other based in Burma, worked from opposite ends of the line toward the centre. Oh, that's rough. That's yeah. that's very uncool. <laughs> mm, mm. It's it, it's stuff like this where it's unfortunate, and you you just like it's not a racist thing, but the shit they did was bad. Like I, yeah. you don't have to. It's not racist to be like those dudes over there were being very bad to their fellow men. The uh, the gentleman in question that is the closest relation to Nicholson is a Lieutenant Colonel Philip Tusi of the British Army. Uh, he was the real senior allied officer at the bridge. Uh, Tusi was very different from Nicholson and was certainly not a collaborator who felt obliged to work with the Japanese. Tusi, in fact, did as much as possible to delay the building of the bridge. While Nicholson disapproves of acts of sabotage and other deliberate attempts to delay progress, Tusi encouraged this. Termites were collected in large numbers to eat the wooden structures and the concrete was badly mixed. Fucking good autumn. That's... I love that. Hell yeah. Um, some people consider the film to be an insulting parody of Tusi, which I can... Yeah, I could see that. Wait, so Tusi is the... Tusi was the real commander. The real uh, Nicholson. Yeah. Yeah, at least they didn't call him Tusi. At least we didn't have a repeat of the Titanic thing. You know about that one? No, what's There's the Titanic thing? One of the... One of the I think it's the captains or or that one of the people who's in charge is the guy who shoots himself in the Titanic. Spoiler alert: um, was an actual real guy, and and he was or sorry named after an actual real guy. We don't think the actual real guy did that, and his family not very happy about his depiction in the film. Cameron, what are you doing, Jimbo? <laughs> Jimbo Kimbo, what are you up Jimbo, to, Jimbo Kimbo? What's up with that? Uh, Jimbo Akimbo. Yeah, big um, mistake from James. Yeah, yeah, big mistake. Julie Summers, in her book, The Colonel of Tamarkin, writes that a bull who had been a prisoner of war in Thailand created the fictional Nicholson character as an amalgam of his memories of collaborating with French officers. He strongly denied the claim that the book was anti-British, although many believed in the film, uh, although many involved in the film itself, including Sir Alec Guinness, felt otherwise. Alec Guinness is British, isn't he? He is. You reckon He's that's a, you reckon He's that's a, do you reckon that's like a point of pride thing or he do you think he was just like this feels like yeah a, mm. is he like is he like this feels like it's anti-British or he's like this feels like a slide against Britain like is it, yeah which, is which one is it because there's they're two very different kind of takes yeah yeah is he saying it like clutching his pearls mm. or is it 
Yeah. Or is he actually like, mm. you know, I've had a really long think about that and this is what this feels like. And this bugs me, yeah. Mm. Weird. I, I'm I, not sure. I, I, I didn't feel it was that way. I think it's like... I think, yeah, I think it's Stockholm Syndrome, the film. I think it's kind of an interesting look into what happens when you have immense fucking pressure over the lives of a bunch of people and you want to keep them safe and happy, but you also have this, like, responsibility for queen and country, you know. And those two things are sort of dueling against each other. Because isn't like, well, you know... If the he... inner conflict there. Yeah. 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 And I also, I guess, um, external conflict. Like, there's other people within the... Uh, the prisoners of war that don't agree with how Nicholson is just happily uh, obeying and, you know, playing uh, fucking playing ball mm. with the Japanese and helping them build the bridge. Yeah, that's interesting. Hmm. Anyway. Anyway. Um, and I think sort of like just a closing thought the all the... Uh, uh, this is more of a time like uh, product of the times more limitation but all the combat looks really floppy in this like very pantomimed <laughs> no squibs um i'm not even sure they had blanks in the guns and stuff they i just kind of they just pulled the triggers they pull it, like i think they have like a bang noise you know but mm. everything feels like very floppy and you know you'd want you'd want more especially for the amount of money that was probably kicking around in this but i i also i also think that i'm trying to remember this of that that gangster film we had that that one had no squibs or anything as well from ages back the one where the guy goes wages of fear yeah yeah where the guy's on he dies on the gas sphere thing that's wages of fear i'm sure that's wages of no wages of fear is the driving one oh yeah it is oh this is from way back um Mm. uh, i know which one you're talking about what i'm talking about uh yeah I'm gonna have a skim, Douglas. Do you want to jump into, or do you do you have any closing thoughts, Douglas? Nah, I got nothing. I've I've said it all. Why don't I hop on over into bloody trivia town while you're hunting that down? Go for it, bud. <laughs> ah, that rhymed. Colonel Saito was inspired by Major Risaburo Saito, who, unlike the character portrayed in this movie, was said by some to be one of the most reasonable and humane of all of the Japanese officers, usually willing to negotiate with the prisoners of war in return for their labor. Such was the respect between Saito and Lieutenant Colonel Tusi, upon whom Colonel Nickerson was based, as I previously discussed, that Tusi spoke up on Saito's behalf at the War Crimes Tribunal after the war, which saved him from the gallows. Oh, interesting. Ten years after Tusi's 1975 death, Saito made a pilgrimage to England to visit his grave. Hmm. That's really sweet. That, that's 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 cooler than I was expecting after the mm. historical accuracy corner. Hmm. The... Uh, the sense of chivalry there is, yeah, quite honourable. Bushido Douglas. Yes, Bushido. <laughs> Bushido. Uh, the elephants employed in helping build the bridge would take breaks every four hours and lie around in the water, whether the crew wanted them to or not. <laughs> <laughs> That's wonderful. <laughs> uh, never never work with children or animals. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the golden, the golden rule. At one point during filming, director Sir David Lean nearly drowned when he was swept away by a river current. Actor Jeffrey Horn saved his life. Far out. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah, right. Far out. Imagine that. Spooky. Fucking, yeah. It's like Titanic yeah. all over again. A bunch of people almost died in that movie as well. Yeah, true, actually. Fuck me. Imagine imagine if he died in filming uh, Bridge on the River Kwai. We wouldn't have Lawrence of Arabia. Oh, 
Or Dr. Zhivago. To be fair, I've never seen either of those. Um, or Passage to India. Or like a bunch of other films. Like Dr. Zhivago is tweaking me out because there's like a terrible, terrible fucking nightclub called Zhivago in Adelaide. Ah. Uh, yeah. Have you, have you been there? A little bit? No. No, you're not missing out. <laughs> okay. The, uh, sounds like a relatively crummy time. It's Sticky Douglas. Sticky. Oh, one of the sticky nightclubs, you know the type. Ah, uh, yes. Initially, Sir Alec Guinness had doubts about playing the role of Colonel Nicholson. Guinness had become a much-loved figure on screen, appearing in a series of popular comedies. The Nicholson character seemed humorless, unlovable, and perhaps even dull. To remedy this, Guinness tried to inject some humour into his portrayal of the Colonel. Director Sir David Lean was very much opposed to this idea, insisting that it be played straight. Thus began an argument between the two men that continued through shooting. And I assume that's why Sir Alec Guinness snuck in that I'd kill myself. Cheers. (laughs) Cheers. <laughs> yeah, there's a couple of things I do remember sitting there, and it, there was like a, it kind of has like a sort very of posi- dry wit. It has like a positive outlook through some stuff, though. Yes, I yeah. I, rem- I wrote down. I was like, I think this film may have a little more sense of humor than some of the other war films we've yeah. had recently. Yeah, and it sort of mm. did. I think I think it sort of did. It wasn't. I think Guinness a, is enough, enough that it wasn't for. just like unending like negativity like a lot of the other ones. Mm. Mm. Um. During shooting, Sir Alec Guinness continued to have doubts about his performance and the direction he was getting from Sir David Lean. To put Guinness at ease, Lean decided to show him a rough cut of certain sequences. One night, Lean ran over an hour's worth of footage for Sir Alec with Guinness's wife and son also attending. During the screening, nothing was said. At the end, the Guinness family thanked Lean and promptly walked out, leaving Lean without a clue as to what to think of their reaction or lack thereof. Later that night, Lean received a visit from Guinness, who told him that he and his family had decided that Nicholson was the best thing that Guinness had ever done. That's, um... Uh, Alec, what the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) That's some real, uh, ratatouille, uh, ego energy. Fuck me. Walking out and then coming back later that night is just like, what the fuck? Fuck, dude. <laughs> what? Man wanted to compose his thoughts. Aye, aye, he wanted aye. to dwell on it and figure out whether that was correct or not. I get it. From one actor to another, I can <laughs> I can sympathize. Jonathan's giving me a very smarmy look right now while he's eating his fucking pizza. Keep, keep, uh, keep, give, me, give me more trivia, bitch. <laughs> Dance trivia, monkey. Dance trivia, boy. Um, screenwriters Michael Wilson and Carl Foreman had been blacklisted in Hollywood after having been accused of having communist ties at the time that this movie was made and went uncredited. The sole writing credit, and therefore the Oscar for Best Adapted Screenplay, went to Pierre, who wrote the original French novel but did not speak English. Clearly, he had not written the English script, and this became a long-running controversy between the Academy and the actual authors to achieve recognition for their work. In 1984, the Academy retroactively awarded the Oscar to Wilson and Foreman. Sadly, Wilson did not live to see this, and Foreman died the day after it was announced. When this movie was restored, their names were added to the credits. Fucking hell. This, yo. Well, this happened recently where they were just like, no, it was that one where they wanted the villains to be communists or something. Yeah. They were really, really, really on the communist fucking angle. Yeah. Must have been a yeah. fucking annoying time to live. Yeah, yeah, where everyone's like, are you communist? <laughs> <laughs> Reds under the bed. You got ties with the commies. Damn commies. Yeah. 
Yeah, rough times. Uh, prior to casting this rally, Guinness, producer Sam Spiegel tried to persuade Spencer Tracy to play the part of Colonel Nicholson. Tracy had read the book and told Spiegel emphatically that the part must be played by an Englishman. Hmm. And I completely agree. I Good think move. There's uh, no other way that uh, for Nicholson to be played. He's a British, he's a British commander. You betcha. He's a very, very British man. The fuck is it with these motherfuckers being like, nah, what, what if we didn't cast someone who actually was that nationality? You can do that for extras, you know? You can do that for hard, hard side characters, but they're just like, what if the lead was not British? He's the commanding officer of a British battalion. I have a question for you, Jonathan. What's the, um, you know, when the uh, Allied forces are walking into the the camp and they're doing the yeah isn't that whistling song in the great escape as well what's that song um oh no the great escape one is different um okay wait um it, it's like it's like a military th- song i think yes it's a military it's like a, yeah, like yeah, a, yeah like a um it's got military ties but anyway let me give you this little bit of trivia while you're working on that. oh wait here um, we go whoa 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 Memorable feature of the film is the tune that's whistled by the POW, the Colonel Bogey March, when they enter the camp. The, the Colonel piece Bogey was, March. piece was originally written in 1914 by Kenneth Alford. Okay. Kenneth Alford, right. Colonel, Colonel Bogey March. The piece and was originally... It was accompanied by Counter Melody. Ah, here mm-hmm. we go. It was accompanied by a Counter Melody known as the River Kwai March, written by the film's composer, Malcolm Arnold. Okay. Colonel Bogey ah. March, I think, is the, the melody of that track? Right. Yep. Yeah, okay, there it is. Yeah. Question gotcha. answer, Douglas. Yeah, it was one where you're like, this is so familiar and I don't know why. Malcolm Arnold added a counter march, which he titled the River Kwai March mm. for uh, Bridge on the River Kwai. The two marches were recorded together by Mitch Miller as March from the River Kwai hyphen Colonel Bogey. Gotcha. Interesting. Um, anyway, the reason I ask is because I have a bit of trivia here that says, quote... Director Sir David Lean initially wanted Nicholson's soldiers to enter the camp while singing Hitler Has Only Got One Ball, which is a popular, uh, during World War II, parody of uh, parody version of the Colonel Bogey March, which pokes fun at Adolf Hitler and various other Nazi leaders. Sam Spiegel told him it was too vulgar, and the whistling-only version was used instead. I think it would have ruined the tone. And it probably wouldn't have aged very decently. No, I mean, it would be fine. Hey, Peacefully. hey. You can talk. As We're many, all here for poking fun. You can talk as much shit about Hitler as you like. You you have to push yeah. pretty hard for to say something that I would be to say like, something where we go like whoa about Hitler. As long as it's you know, I think you'd have to like say something racist or homophobic I mean, in that insult. Yeah, and then I'd be like, yeah. all right, slow down a bit. But if you're just like Hitler has one testicle, I was like, okay, I can. Yeah, we can we can say that about Hitler. That's okay. <laughs> Jojo Rabbit is a film that exists. Mm. Um. Have you seen Jojo Rabbit? I, I have like not. Yeah, that. I feel like I would mm. as well. Mm. Mm. Seems like a film that you would get down with. Um, Sesue Hayakawa considers his performance as Colonel Saito as the highlight of his career. It's a good performance. Good, good performance. Yeah, it was a very good performance. In fact, yeah. in fact, it's actually, it's actually maybe a better performance than Alec Guinness's. I think the only downside is he doesn't have anywhere near as much kind of character depth. Yeah, which is a shame. Um, mm. Yeah. But Saito is very obviously having fun in the role mm. that he's playing, so that's good. 
Um, on the first take of the final bridge sequence, the explosives on the bridge didn't detonate, and the train crossed over safely, only to crash down a hill on the other side. <laughs> oh, fuck. Oh, what the fuck did they do to get the train back? <laughs> oh, my God. Can you imagine? Oh, that's... All right, camera's rolling, Bob's ready, and action, and then the train just, like, cleanly goes over the top of it, and then fucking caroons down the other side. We, that's priceless. We didn't talk about the... About the bridge blowing about, up. About the bridge, yeah, which had to have been real. And gosh, I can't. Remember. Uh, uh-uh. oh, oh, is it a miniature? The, no, wait. Go the ahead. The destruction of the bridge, as depicted in the movie, is entirely fictional. Well, yeah, yeah, not fictional, but it was a real bridge. Like it was a, yes. in the real world back in nineteen fifty whatever six when they were filming this. They did blow up a real bridge up. Yes, yeah. yes, they did. They did demolish a proper bridge um in reality two bridges were built a temporary wooden one and a permanent steel and concrete one a few months later both bridges were used for two years until they were destroyed by allied aerial bombings the steel bridge was repaired and is still in use today i i I did it was something nice about nicholson's kind of bit where he's like what if you know, what if we, we, we're not making this for the Japanese. We're making this for the people in the future once we win the war. I thought that was actually, there's some, yeah, something, that's about a that hot jive, take. something about that mm. jive with me. I kind of liked that, but. Mm. The, the legacy that mm. it leaves on is a, yeah, a bit of a heartwarming thought. Um, Sir Alec Guinness never actually saw the bridge blow up. He completed all of his seams and buggered back off to England before the explosion was filmed. <laughs> Isn't the, is uh, he not the foreground of that shot? I guess he's not. I guess you could use an extra for it as well. If it's just like a, the back of him, you know? <laughs> he's like, what have I done? Not seeing what he had done. Not there at all. <laughs> Why would you leave for that? How cool would it be to see that thing actually go up? He's not getting paid for it. Who the fuck Who cares? fucking cares? You're already... Just stay in <laughs> Thailand for three more... Stay in Burma for three more days, you dickhead. Uh, Holy shit. Ah, it's got shit to do. Yo, he was... You know what? I think Alec Guinness had enough money that he could hang around in Burma for a little bit. That he could probably... I reckon yeah, he, he was probably, probably getting paid all right in this film. <laughs> 1,000 pounds of dynamite was used to blow up the bridge, which was filmed on five cameras and cost $250,000 for about 30 seconds of screen time. Oh, it's worth it, though. Absolutely. You see you see them building that bridge, you're like, someone better blow that fucking bridge up by the end of the film, I swear to God. <laughs> While the bridge in the movie was constructed by prisoners in two months, the actual one built in Ceylon by a British company for the filming, 425 feet long and 50 feet above the water, took eight months with the use of 800 work, uh, sorry, 500 workers and 35 elephants. It was demolished in a matter of a few seconds and the total cost was 85 million quid, which is equivalent to about 1.2 million quid in 2002. All right. And imagine what that is now. <laughs> Christ alive. Inflation really is a thing. I think you said uh, $85 million, Douglas. I think you meant to say 85000 Yeah, sorry. 85000 Yeah. That was just... I was like... Yeah. I, it, it, the first time you said that, I was like, yeah, $85 million to $1 million. And I was like, no, 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 no. That's backwards. <laughs> <laughs> £85,000. Um, £1,000? Yeah, eighty-five thousand pounds. Douglas, to... get the fucking number right. Fuck. Oh, all right. Well, you know what? That's enough trivia for you, Eighty-five Mr. pence. You've lost your. You've lost your <laughs> trivia privileges. I've closed the tab. You can fuck right off if that's how you're going to be. All right. All right. All right you got it. 
Um, you outro the goddamn podcast. Okay, well, if you enjoyed this episode of the <laughs> 250 podcast, we do uh, argument-ridden episodes every week, Tuesday midnight Australian Eastern Standard Time, which comes out to Monday afternoons in Europe and Monday mornings in America. Douglas, where can people go if they want to check out our stuff? If you want to check out anything 250 related, you can open up your favorite web browser and you can type in 250.com. That's www.250.com. And you will find a link to our Instagram there, um, which is T-W-O-F-I-V-E-O-H-P-O-D, 250pod um, is the username for our Instagram. You've got a link to the list of films, which we took of a snapshot of back in January of 2020. And we will be using for the remainder of the podcast. And then you've also got a link to a resource for listening to the podcast. So if you Many were talking to someone and you were like... All the resources like, hey, a person could want. Do you want to uh, listen to this podcast? You should listen to it too. You can just be like, hey, go to 250.com and you'll find it. And there it is. Yeah. It's there for you. Douglas and I both use Letterboxd, which is a film tracking and reviewing website. Uh, my account is Upa. That is U-U-U-P-A-H and Douglas. Mine is Ienzo Knight. I-E-N-Z-O-K-N-I-G-H-T. Ienzo Knight. You can look up 250, Ienzo Knight or Upa in the Letterboxd search engine and you will find us. We do written reviews on Letterboxd of all the films that we've watched for the 250 as well as anything else that we've watched in our spare time. I watch the sequel to Venom. Oh, yeah. Uh, in my spare time. Way more fun than the first one. Like, uh. holy shit. It is so good. Like, the Andy Circus really helms it so, so well. Like, he's just so clever with how he handles these characters and handles the script. And he's so well aware of how fucking dopey and weird it is. It, um, it really does strike me as one of those films that I would jive with just based on like yeah the 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 concept being like a little bit silly you know like being a yeah. little being a little weird um it, it's yep. and, I'm, and maybe maybe i'm also attracted to it because it's sort of like outside of your mcus and your fucking justice leagues and that kind of thing like all those films they sort of separate themselves out i'm kind of interested in how they turn out and it does feel quite a bit removed from like it it does like at the in the opening credits it says in association with marvel so it's still they own, within... they own the IP, but they own exactly. They own most of um, the uh, yeah. Sony and Marvel are kind of shaking hands for now, and they're just going, "We're both going to make money off this thing, so this is fine for now," um, which is good. Um, and then uh, two nights ago, I saw Spider Man No Way Home, uh, the midnight screening, screening Spider Man No Way Home. Yeah. Um, and everyone, no one wants to talk about it because everyone wants to avoid spoilers. So I'm not going to say a goddamn word other than you should definitely go watch it. It's uh, it's worth going to check out in cinemas. Uh, it's it's a very cinema kind of a film. Absolutely. I think it's a, the, the it really thrives in a cinema experience. I was lucky enough to have a very lovely group of individuals in my cinema that were there for the ride i mean obviously it's a midnight screening of a marvel movie you're always going to get the the really jived up people at a midnight screening um but my initial reactions are very strong uh i think it's a wonderful movie and it's also worth noting 
that at time of writing, I'm, I'll be interested to see where it slots in once the hype has maybe died down a little bit. But at time of writing, Spider-Man No Way Home is number nine in IMDb's Whoa. top 250 movies of all time. Holy fuck. Do you think it, uh, do you think it deserves to be there? It's above Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring, Fight Club, Forrest Gump, Inception, Two Towers, The Matrix, Goodfellas. Comparing it to those films, I'm like, nah. Um, top 100, top 50, maybe. Yeah, okay. uh, It's probably my favorite Marvel film. Um, should, I think. Uh, should I watch? Should uh, I watch the other Spider-Man films first, Douglas? Yes. Yeah. Watch your Tom Holland's. And, Tom Holland's. Um, yeah. If you want, go check out the Tobey Maguire's and the Andrew Garfield's as well. They're always a good romp as well. I should watch. The, I should watch um, the Andrew Garfield one just because I, I, I know really that... want to rewatch the Andrew Garfield's because they were actually quite recent. Like I was only the turnaround between with... Andrew Garfield and Tom Holland to Tom Holland. It's like two is or insane. three years. Yeah. Yeah. I had no idea. I had no idea that it was so like the the the, the exchange was mm. so quick. Um, there was a there was so a yeah. discussion on this on Red Letter Media when they talked about S- Suicide Squad. I think Suicide mm. Squad is the mm-hmm. new one, and they were talking. They were like, "This is like a very quick turnover." And I think it was maybe five years between the Suicide Squad and Suicide Squad. And yeah, which yep. which sort of I I think. And then the next quickest one was. Um, no, no, no. Yeah. The Spider-Man's are way closer together than the Suicide yes, Squad. Yeah, yeah. That, that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Although I would say, I would say one. that technically, I would say that uh, Birds of Prey is part of that mini little film film series. Yes. So maybe. Yeah. yeah. Maybe that counts. It's a part of the. Maybe that counts um, as a reboot, Douglas. Perhaps. DC Suicide Squad. Uh, yeah. Maybe that Stuff. maybe that counts, Douglas. <laughs> anyway, I didn't I didn't watch any movies. Um, I, That's fair enough. I've uh, at work. I've got a project we've been working on for a year. We realise that the way we've been doing it is wrong. And <laughs> let me tell you, I'm not stressed out right now. But when I'm in the office, I'm a stressed out little man. I've been a busy little be, guy. I've got a lot on my hands right now. Um, there's gonna be words. Well, before we bail out, just want to. Uh, Ask, you know, uh, get those out there. If you really enjoyed this episode, um, and we should really reorganize this in our socials plug because it makes no sense where it is right now. If you can drop in a review on your iTunes and if your other app allows reviews, uh, that would mean a lot to us. It helps out a lot for us to kind of get out there, which, um, you know, that's how we start making that money, Douglas. Exactly. Let's get that Um, paper. (laughs) Get that fucking hot pack. I thought you weren't in this for the money, John. No, I'm not. But it would be nice but... if I didn't have to pay for the hosting fees. That's the real kicker. True. True. Yeah. I can say, I know a lot of people say this, but I can say without a shadow of a doubt that if we were to get money, it would all go directly back into the podcast. Because I don't like, Absolutely. I don't like making money on things. Yeah. But if I'm making yeah. money for the podcast, it's like, all right. If we're, yeah. We got hosting, we got hosting for the podcast. We got hosting for the website. We could hire an editor, maybe. We can hire an actual graphic designer think, to fix everything. <laughs> do you think we could work on, like, is Patreon something we should be looking at, maybe, do you think? If you're in a Patreon, if you want to if you want to do a Patreon, send us an email. We could try that. Send us an email, 250pod at gmail.com. If that's the kind yeah. of thing you think you could be into, I don't. Li- I don't like pushing that. Sh- I don't like pushing that shit. Yeah. If people yeah, start coming like, to us, then I'd be like, sh- absolutely, be my guest. Let's do it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, if you wanted to support the co- uh, the podcast and support us, then that's yeah, that's your own 
um, I would be agenda. unbelievably grateful to yeah, to, re- yeah. to receive like fifty bucks a year so I can handle all the costs of this thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Even if we just set it at like two bucks a month or something. Oh god, like not even that. that. Like, like literally yeah. a dollar a month. I'd be like, fuck yeah. yes, bro, fuck it. Are we? So is this still had... in podcast? Trim this, Douglas. This is not fun to listen to. <laughs> okay. Uh, the podcast uh, over now. Uh, Bye. We just edited out a bunch of bullshit. Uh, yeah. uh, 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 see you later. Thanks for listening, guys. Uh, uh.